All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have Cy Whitling. Cy is an illustrator for the ski and mountain bike industry. So in this episode, we go deep on his process, what inspires him, everything behind the scenes. You might have seen some of his work on Instagram or New Schoolers. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, be sure to check that out ahead of time. We wrap up the show with some viewer questions, which can be submitted on our Instagram at twoplankerpod. As always, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. And yeah, that's it. Hope you like it. you and what do you do? Uh, my name's Cy Whitling and I'm an illustrator based out of Idaho. So I draw stuff and I draw the stuff I like to do, which is mostly skiing and mountain biking. Cool. So um, what's your current work setup right now? Because last I heard, and so the reason I hit you up is because uh, I was interviewing Twig and Zorko from New Schoolers and they were both stoked that they hired you for this kind of part-time <laughs> position. So how are you making your money right now? Um, yeah, so new schoolers for me, I went through the end of April. Um, so I'm coming up on my first month without a new schoolers paycheck coming. Um, so right now I'm fully freelance. So that's um, freelance, like commissioned illustrating work. Um, and then um, I do some copywriting as well. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now is um, I've got a couple of bigger projects for clients and then personal paintings that I sell. And then um, I write about gear as mm. well. Hell yeah. So was that planned ahead of time that, that you wouldn't be working for new schoolers during the summer months? Yeah, just the way their advertising schedule works and um, also the way my schedule works. Like it's really nice to take, for me to take a few months off in the summer. Um, this is only my second year in the current situation with new schoolers. Um, and last year, obviously we had COVID came through and like, you know, everything shut down. Nobody had any money. Um, so I ended a month earlier last year. Um, yeah, but this is, I'm off through probably September and I can still write stuff for new schoolers if I'd like, but instead of like being on a schedule of two pieces a week, um, I would pitch it to Twig and get his approval and then publish. Mm -hmm. Nice, man. So I think, uh, I always think that it's good to get context on the people that, you know, that, that their story isn't super well told. So maybe you want to tell a little bit about yourself and where you grew up and kind of how you got to where you are. Cause you hold a, a pretty unique position in the ski industry right now, being like a ski illustrator. I don't really know if anybody else doing that. Yeah. I've been stoked to kind of carve out that niche for myself. Um, yeah. So the like 30,000 foot view, um, I grew up in Northern Idaho in Moscow. Um, and like knew what skiing was, didn't, was like three plus hours away from any ski, ski hills, but for some reason really wanted to do it. Um, decided that's what I really wanted to do. Went snowboarding in eighth grade and got hurt, skied like a day or two a year, got a season past my senior year of high school. Um, and around that time also made an account on new schoolers because I inherited an ancient snowmobile that was broken. And I was like, who knows how to fix snowmobiles? These guys are skiers. Maybe they know how to fix snowmobiles. Cause I'd been lurking on the forums for a while and like understood that like a lot more than just skiing got talked about on new schoolers. So made an account basically to ask how to fix this snowmobile. Um, it wasn't worth fixing. And then from there, like I was in school to be a mechanical engineer. Um, but I was skiing a bunch and I was taking a bunch of ski photos 
and ended up like enjoying that a lot more um, and was also working for a film production company as well while I was in college um, to be an engineer and realized that maybe I should change my major to something that was more similar to what I was doing with my life. So I um, switched to digital media and broadcasting and started just publishing photos on New Schoolers to get people to see them um, and kind of picked up some momentum there. And basically the guy in charge at the time, Doug Bishop, um, had set up a journalist program where if you kind of put any content on the site that had done well, you could apply to basically be in a revenue sharing system um, from ad revenue on anything you posted, which was pretty sweet. Um, and started pitching trips to him, went on a couple trips where I just would like go skiing with my friends in a place and take photos of them and write about it and maybe make a little edit. Um, and then from there, I um, actually did like two seasons of making money or maybe one season of making money at New Schoolers but it not being my job. I'm still working at a film production company and working construction. Um, and then I basically emailed everyone in the ski and the mountain bike industry um, that I could find an email for. And I was like, hey, my name is Sai. Um, I take decent photos. I know some things about engineering. I can write pretty well. I know the difference between it's and it's. Um, hire me. <laughs> and didn't hear back from very many people, but actually heard back from Blister Gear Review um, that uh, the gear review website, got picked up as an intern there, got a job there, worked there for a few years. And kind of during that time, um, I've always drawn, I've always doodled. I wasted most of my college classes. Like I listen better when I'm doodling. And so all of my homework has just had random stuff drawn all over it. And kind of like, as I was working all these other jobs, um, we had a really bad winter in the Pacific Northwest it was like that 2014 15 winter but don't hold me to it um basically we had no snow so i couldn't take ski photos so i started drawing the photos i wished i was taking um that winter and kind of just did that on the side and put them on instagram for a few years um as i worked these other jobs and then when i left blister um i started coaching mountain biking and working construction and drawing more. And that's just kind of been like the through line of, I've had a few jobs since Blister, but I've, as I've had other jobs, the art and illustration side of things has continued to grow until now about a year and a half or a year and a few months ago, um, I was able to go illustration full-time. And so now I just write stuff that I like writing about and draw stuff that I like doing um, full-time. And kind of in that two years ago, as I was doing it, I was starting to do well doing that twig. Um, I think he messaged me on Instagram and was like, hey, what would it take for you to come back at New Schoolers? I was like, I'd love to come back at New Schoolers. All it would take would be any money. Like, <laughs> give me any money. Give me money and a schedule and I'll come back to New Schoolers and post there. And he was like, sweet. Uh, like, Here's, here's what we could pay you. How much could you do for that? And I was like, cool, I'll, I'll uh, draw something and I'll write something every week from September through April. Um, and so that's what I do for them now. Nice, man. So, so you said that um, 
that really your art experience was just doodling in class. So how did you take that and, and like elevate it and actually and actually get good at, you know, drawing skiers, drawing bikes, because bikes aren't easy to draw, <laughs> and just actually and teaching yourself how to paint? How did you just kind of self-start that whole side of yourself? Yeah, um, I think I've taken like one semester of one art class in college, and it was terrible. It was like art 101, and it was a prerequisite. Pre- I can't say that word. It was, it was a required class, and it was terrible um basically just like youtube videos <laughs> it's like um if i can't figure out how to do something i look it up on youtube and there's somebody who's done it um there's somebody who's figured it out um and it's just been a slow process of like i have a pretty clear vision of how i see the world um and so it's been less about like trying to create a unique style through my art or like do something that stands out artistically and more just like trying to show the world as I see it um and so it's it's been nice in that like the the focus for me is like learning techniques and improving and I call it like the push-ups of art the like it's not sexy it's not the like exciting stylistic um beautiful stuff that I'm working on as much it's just the like the building blocks, the basics, the like building art fitness. Um, and that stuff's easy to do. And it doesn't take like, you don't have to have a studio and it doesn't have to be your job and you don't have to give your whole heart and like emotional investment to it to like get better at moving a pencil on the paper. Um, and like with YouTube, it's pretty easy to figure out how how other people do things. And then you just do it a bunch of times and figure out how you would change that process to make it your own um so like initially I was working digitally and then last year during COVID I just was like I've wanted to learn how to paint for a long time um I bought a set of paints off the internet like a year before and was just like well I don't have any work I'm gonna learn how to paint and basically started the this paintings to poop to thing where I did like 115 um gouache paintings for like all, all last summer I just was I did a painting a day um, and that's how I learned how to paint. You do, you do a painting a day. <laughs> yeah. So what are you looking up on, on YouTube? Cause I feel like, you know, when you're making a piece of art, it's, it's a very specific subject usually. So do you just look up how to draw a skier or do you look up how do I draw like a person and then add clothes to like clothes to that frame, you know, how, like, so what, what are these things that you're looking up to kind of build this, um, like just build these basics. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot of like, man, the number of times I've Googled how to draw faces, um, faces just, I'm bad at them. Um, yeah. It's like how to draw faces or like a lot of the time for me, it's more technical things like how to put like, and it's always like stilted weird search terms of like how put line work in Photoshop color. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I drew something in pencil on paper. How do I like make the background transparent so I can color it in Photoshop? Um, it's a lot of technical stuff like that. Um, and then in the last like year, two years, um, I feel like I've been less like seeking specific things and more they've been coming to me as I started consuming more, um, basically like artists and illustrators writing about art and illustration. Um, there's a website called muddycolors.com. Um, it's a bunch of fantasy artists and they just have a post every day and it can be something technical or something more theoretical, um, like, like how to, how to paint dappled light. 
Um, it's like, well, I didn't think that I, you know, I, I didn't know I needed to know how to paint dappled light, but here I am learning how to paint dappled light, sick. Um, and so that's kind of been the, it's been fun as the learning process has become more of that and more of like buying art books um, of people whose work I like and like trying to figure out how they did it. Um, starting to learn more of the like interesting theoretical stuff instead of just the like, how do I make this face not look like a cow? <laughs> yeah. And so assuming that there's some like art nerds listening to, who are you kind of inspired by right now? Um, I think like really obviously have to give out the, give the shout outs to the guys who have been doing this in the ski industry. Um, Ryan Schmies, uh, if you've liked an old K2 ski, it's his fault. Um, and that's like, I read an article, I read an interview with him in probably 10th grade, um, in like a weird local magazine that was just like, this guy has figured out how to make a living drawing skiing. And that's kind of stuck with me, um, in the back of my mind, or like, he doesn't even really draw skiing. He draws stuff for skiers, right? He draws like cannibalistic clowns that go on skis. Um, <laughs> so he's obviously a huge inspiration. Um, I, I'm try, I try not to just imitate his style, but just like, he's someone who has made a life drawing stuff for the outdoors. Um, same Adam Haynes, stick fort. Um, he's a little bit more snowboard focused, but like I was lucky enough to see some of his work in person. Um, I remember just standing in front of one painting for like 45 minutes. The lady in the gallery was like, are you okay? I'm like, sir, is, is everything okay? I was like, no, I just got to figure out how he painted like, uh, like spring snow. <laughs> um, so those two guys in, in skiing are huge inspirations. Um, and then there's also like outside of skiing, there's a huge, just a huge number of artists who like do certain things really, really well um, that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so you used to do like mechanical engineering and construction, you said, did you always have an artistic like kind of outlook on the world or, or did that, is that something that came with you becoming more and more interested in um in in creating art because you know construction especially is very procedural that you go in do whatever's planned out and then you do it and then switching to art you kind of just it's more of like a go with the like you still have a plan but it's more go with the flow yeah um yeah i mean with construction that's just like it, it's the best I, I i honestly think it's some of the best money <laughs> in skiing is to not work in skiing and it's just to work construction like um, laying floors pays so much better than anything I've ever done in the ski industry. And I love it. Like, it's just like putting together Legos and I can just zone all the way out. And it's this like craft, it's especially flooring is like an art and a craft. Um, you can get good at it. And there's like certain things that make you that aren't just like the craft of it. Like you can be artistic and whatever I could go on and on about laying floor and how it's a beautiful thing forever. Um, with the, with the mechanical engineering side of things, this is something I've kind of been thinking about in the last four or five months um, is that I think I, in my life, the one thing that's been really consistent is I find satisfaction and joy in the intersection between really carefully planned, really carefully designed things. Um, and then those things running into complete randomness and chance, um, which, which sounds like kind of dorky, but basically, um, I think like my favorite kind of skiing is on a ski that's really well designed. Somebody really thought it through. I know exactly what it's going to do in every situation. I'm on a binding, 
you know, I'm on a touring binding that, a, that, an in, that engineers spent hundreds of hours designing. It's this very precise, very specific thing. Um, and then I'm skiing POW, which is impossible to model, right? It's so many particles going every which way and you're skiing like backcountry train with a bunch of features that like, um, it's, it's, this, it's a more raw organic thing as opposed to this mechanical thing. And like, for me, happiness comes at the intersection of those two things of like a really precise, really well-designed piece of equipment, a ski and where I use it, this like raw, random, unpredictable mountain. Um, same thing with mountain biking, like mountain bikes are crazily well-designed, crazily well-engineered. And then you're riding rough technical trails where like every turn is different from the last. Um, and so like, this is like kind of an excessive metaphor, but I, the same thing happens for me with art um, where my line work, what I do digitally is really precise, right? Like when I'm drawing a bike, I draw the 32 or 28 spokes in the wheel. Um, when I draw a ski, I know what ski I'm drawing, even if I'm, and like often I'll put a different graphic on a ski shape that I like or like whatever. And it's like, even if the final art doesn't show that in my head, I know what boot the skier is wearing. I know what binding he's on. I know what ski he's on or she. Um, and then when I paint, it's introducing that organic random, I'm not fully in control. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't control where every speck of pigment goes and how it dries and all of that. Um, and so for me, like the gratification least recently has come from that intersection of like very precise line work and idea, and then a lot more random um, and unpredictable process that at the end leads to something that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. One foot in order and one foot in chaos as some say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of your art, I'm just looking through it now on new schoolers. A lot of it is like this very surreal cross between like skiing and other like strange elements is that like a way that you've always viewed the world like just thinking of the like oh i'm gonna have you know just like <laughs> it's hard to, to describe some of these yeah. things like the salamander and the guy hunting it with a bow and arrow have you always had like these weird funky thoughts or is this something that you know as you've been working on on this type of art that's kind of what you're looking for now no like that's just how i've always seen the world like <laughs> I'm I spent my childhood with every stick being a sword right um and then like I thought I would grow out of that and now it's just my ski pole is a sword and I'm still like waving it around and yelling dorky Lord of the Rings quotes and like reading mediocre fantasy books every night like <laughs> um I like I, I I live in a world in which there are giant salamanders lurking behind every corner um and I'm always a little bit embarrassed when I put that out into the world, but apparently there's enough people who also like live in a world in which like dragons are not a remote possibility, like in which dragons could exist, like <laughs> um, that people don't seem to mind. Um, but it's always, it always feels a little bit weird putting that stuff out where it's like, yep, I know it seems like I must've been really high. I promise I'm completely sober. And just like, this is how I, this is how I see the world. This is how I experience life. Yeah. And so what's your creative process for coming up with that? Is it, do you ever, cause I know that some people, when they want to get in a creative space, they actually like carve out time for it. But are you, do you do that? Or are you more like just go around throughout your day? And then if something strikes you, you kind of just try to capture that. 
Yeah, um, it's kind of a mix of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, there's an artist called The Oatmeal. Um, he draws like wildly existential comics. Um, and he, he has one about like how art is a process of inhaling and exhaling. Um, and that's really stuck with me. I've really identified with that of like, there's times when I'm really productive um, and like cranking out a bunch of work and like, you know, doing four paintings a day. And that's when I'm exhaling, I'm putting a, a bunch out into the world. And then I've found that I have to like, often have to make time just to strategically inhale. Um, and it's not even that I'm being creative in those times, but like often I'll just be like, okay, I've put out a bunch of work in the last month. I'm gonna take a week where I'm not allowed to make anything finished. I'm not allowed to like basically put out anything that I'd put on Instagram. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm like, filled with ideas and my my creative process is going really well it just means that I like force myself not to make anything um and give my mind a little bit of time to absorb what's happening around it and usually like unfortunately those weeks are not when I have good ideas but they like give me space to have good ideas later um so I'll be like on a mountain bike ride or like on the climb or skinning or even just like on the chairlift um and start to come up with stuff um mostly it's just like I draw activities. So when I'm doing those activities, I'm thinking about them. And that's like how, how my brain snaps upon ideas. Mm -hmm. So in the winter, you're making ski paintings in the summer, you're making mountain biking and it's not really ever flip-flopping. Um, no, like in the shoulder seasons, like as soon as March is over, I'm like thinking about mountain biking, even as I'm still like working for new schoolers and you know, by the end of July, my bike is creaky and I'm thinking about skiing and like wanting to paint skiing. Um, and I'll do both throughout the year, especially like as clients want it. Um, and like the people that buy my paintings, um, want more skiing than mountain biking. So like I do more skiing for them. Um, I just have more people in my life who care about skiing than mountain biking. Have you had any, uh, any, uh, particularly big commissions since you started doing this? I know that there's some people that would probably want you know, even if you haven't come across them yet, there's definitely gonna be some people down the road that want it like either crazy big or like a really complex, like very personalized piece. Yeah, um, I've had some of those. Honestly, I really rarely enjoy personal commissions as much as I enjoy commercial um, uh, ones. And like some of that comes down to like, I'd rather be an illustrator than an artist. Um, I'd rather make things that do something for a brand um then i then just sit on a person's wall um which i know is kind of weird and anathema but like um i want like i love commissions that are for a brand and they're like we're trying this is the story we're trying to tell can you help us tell it um or this is what we're trying to sell to this kind of person can you make something that would appeal to them those are the commissions that i really like um i would say like um, it's not exactly a commission, but I uh, do a comic for the magazine Mountain Gazette. Um, and that's been really fun. I'm working on my third one for that right now for their fall issue. Um, and that's really cool because their editor basically just tells me how many pages I have um, and copy edits whatever I give him. Um, but is otherwise just like what story can come out of your brain that you think our readers will like. And it turns out that like I, I think I have a lot in common with the readers of that magazine. I value similar things. And so I can tell stories that like reflect my values and they can resonate with. 
Um, and the same goes for new schoolers of like doing, doing two things a week. It can get kind of like, there's a lot of repetition and it can get a little not boring, but like, here we go again. And again, we're going to, we got to come up with something for new schoolers this week. Um, but even so I love giving, like putting things out into that community because I feel like I know that community pretty well. I know what they want. And like, it's really fun to make stuff that people resonate with. Um, even if it just like makes them giggle for a second and they move on. Yeah. Honestly, that, that explanation of, um, kind of art that has a purpose really helps explain a lot of what you're making because you look at like your backcountry pieces and like, these aren't, these are more like PSAs rather than art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the ad campaign that I wish somebody was running. Um, there's a lot, of, like a lot of the stuff on new schoolers is like that. Um, where it's just like, I wish somebody was saying this, so I guess I should say it. Um, and like the, yeah, the backcountry safety ones are pretty personal of just like the degrees of separation between backcountry fatalities and me get smaller every season. I'm like, I worry about my friends. Um, I worry about the kids I see posting threads on new schoolers asking, you know, what touring bindings to buy. And I can't like, it's, you know, it's not my place to like teach them everything, but like, this is a small way that hopefully I can promote safety. Mm -hmm. And so what's your, cause um, I've heard you talk about this before and like, and, and a lot of your art revolves around it. So what's like your connection to um, like backcountry riding and like backcountry safety? Cause it feels like it's really personal for you um, when I hear you talk about it. And when I see your art. Yeah. Um, so like I got into it late and in the wrong way. <laughs> um, I think I was like 21 or 22 when I started backcountry skiing. Um, and I was like in heavy canvas duck hunting pants and full tilts and frame bindings and heavy skis just like no education no real knowledge just like i want to walk up mountains and come back down them that seems fun um and so i had like a pretty aggressive introduction of just like took on some objectives that someone in their first you know five days of backcountry skiing probably shouldn't have um and got away with a bunch on them and learned a bunch and then like was like both lucky and lucky enough to, to have um, partners in that first year who were getting after it. And like, I wasn't good at what I was doing, but I really wanted to do it. So I was scrappy. I wasn't fit, but I was scrappy. And so I like did my best to get invited along on days where like I was out of my depth a lot and got away with a lot and took a lot of risks that I shouldn't have. And like, had a lot of days where I was a liability to the party and not an asset. Um, and so, like, and like, I think that's actually like a pretty common progression for folks skiing in the backcountry is this like season or two of just being a junk show um, and like being a danger to yourself and others, but you're learning a bunch and you're having a bunch of fun and whatever. Um, and then now as I've kind of like grown up a little bit and I'm not, I'm not super experienced, I'm not super knowledgeable, but um, I've learned enough to listen to the people who are. Um, and so I, I've seen the new schoolers community kind of grow up in that same progression of like, it's that cliche of taking the park tricks to the backcountry. But like backcountry skiing is like the fastest growing segment in skiing, right? Every Like how many pairs of shifts did they sell in the last two years? Um, how many pairs of like skins are out of stock? Um, and so 
I see an opportunity with new schoolers, which like traditionally hasn't talked about backcountry skiing at all, to just like reach out to people who are in the same place I was a couple years ago and tell them the things I wish I'd heard, um, give them the information I wish I'd had and like encourage them in the ways I wish people would encourage me because like backcountry skiing is not designed for new school skiers right now, right? Like I remember it was really exciting when I like, I'm sure a bunch of people will claim this, but like there was a year at SIA where a few ski brands were like, we made a twin tip touring ski. And it was so exciting because I was, I'd been skiing like terrible directional carbon touring skis that I hated and I couldn't ski like I like to ski. And I was like not having a good time on them, but they were light enough that I could go on big days. Um, and so like having seen that progression of like brands start to create gear for more jibby, playful backcountry skiers. Um, and then seeing the new schoolers community grow up and start touring more has kind of, I've seen this place where like, hey, I don't know a bunch, but nobody's talking to this specific audience and we are going out in the backcountry. So let's start having this conversation on this park skiing website. Um, and then just like, I volunteer on our local search and rescue um, and that has just made me a, a lot more aware of like the number of backcountry incidents and um, fatalities and the risks involved. And so that just kind of goes hand in hand with that of like, I'm hyper aware of what can go wrong. And I'm also so lucky that I got into this sport and I want other people to get into it and I want them to do it safely. Mm -hmm. And so, so you're on the, the, the search and rescue team. And so what, what is the scene out in, in Idaho? Cause I, cause I'm out in Connecticut. And so I don't really know much about what you guys are working with out there. Um, yeah. And it's kind of weird actually. So I'm in Driggs, Idaho now, um, which nobody knows where it is and that's probably a good thing, but, um, it's on the Idaho Wyoming border and search and rescue is County based here. So actually like in Teton County, Idaho, which is where I live, um, it's pretty quiet. Um, and that's changing. We're getting more people. We're getting more people out in the backcountry, um, but we're not getting called out all that much. But seven miles from my house, where I do most of my skiing, is Teton County, Wyoming, which is home to Jackson Hole, which is like, you know, where people go out of bounds and die. Um, and just like it's it's less that I've I'm not having firsthand experience with those things now yet, um, but. I'm closer to them than I was. I'm much more aware of them. And I'm looking at them from a different perspective of like less, what if this happened to me and more, what if I was helping someone that this had happened to? Um, and I think that like slight paradigm shift is really helpful. Um, cause we have, you know, we have a more stable snowpack than like Colorado. Um, but we have a lot of big terrain. We have a fair number of avalanche fatalities every year. Um, I do most of my skiing in uncontrolled avalanche train. So it's on my mind all the time. It's what I go to bed thinking about and what I wake up thinking about for most of the winter. Mm -hmm. Thinking about it for yourself or thinking about it in terms of just your community. Yeah. So I'm reading that forecast every morning for, yeah, for basically my community and myself of like, if I'm going out today, what kind of terrain am I going to choose? What risks am I taking? But also like, it's kind of, it's not that unique, but we live in a place where the avalanche situation affects the whole community because a bunch of people commute over Teton Pass um, every day. And there's a bunch of slide paths that end on that road that people ski. Um, and so like, 
there's some days where you wake up in the morning and you're like, somebody's going to put snow across the road and everybody's going to be pissed. Um, and that affects everyone. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, like I worry about myself and my friends, but it's also just like, this affects everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And so before we like depart from the, the avalanche and all the, all the negative aspects of backcountry skiing, like if you, so based off your training and like what you've learned, like what advice would you give people that want to get into the backcountry and, and, you know, actually start exploring that area of the sport? Um, do it. It's awesome. Um, but get educated and then understand that avalanche education is not a one-time thing. It's not a certificate. It's not a like free pass of like, I get to go into the backcountry. I have my Abby one. I am bulletproof, right? Like you're more likely to get caught in an avalanche after you've had some avalanche education than before you had any. Um, so like continued education, continue to go to talks and listen to smart people, read the avalanche review. It's a really good magazine. Um, read the forecast every day. Um, a good exercise I found is like read the weather report of what happened the night before, before you read the forecast and then try to in your head, like anticipate what you think the avalanche forecast is going to be basically like test yourself against the professional forecasters and be like, okay, well, it snowed this much and it was this windy. I bet it's going to be considerable for this reason. And then read the forecast and see how you did. Um, just like, yeah, try and listen and learn, but get into back into skiing. It's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. And so, um, this might be getting ahead of ourselves, but somebody, you know, we won't go into to all of your questions right now, but who was it? Let's see. Um, so Hatcher underscore Gordon was wondering all about your blade touring. Um, and like, so, <laughs> so he's wondering, uh, how did it start? What did you start on? Like, what's, what's the deal with the blade touring? Yeah, that's the, that's the weird new great thing. Um, it actually started, I ski bladed before I skied. Um, I know somebody's going to give me crap for like ski blade versus snow blade. Or like people get ornery about that. It's snowler blading. It doesn't matter. They're short skis. Um, but actually like, yeah, before I started skiing, um, I read the tribute to Shane McConkey in powder magazine. It had a bunch of pictures of him as saucer boy. And I like, didn't really pick up that it was a joke. Um, I just thought he snowler bladed a lot and was like, this guy's the coolest ever. Um, I want to be like him. So I, and I got a pair at the thrift store for like $2.99. Um, so I ski bladed a few days. My, my friends made fun of me. I ended up going to real skis. I've always had a pair of blades. Um, you know, you pull them out for like closing day. And then I had a pair with old Silvretta touring bindings for a season, but the bindings sucked. So I never really used them. And then last two winters ago uh we basically had a slow start where we got enough snow that we couldn't mountain bike but not enough snow that it was worth skiing um so we decided to do this really stupid traverse from basically the uh, west side of the tetons um, in idaho to the east side of the tetons in wyoming um i think it was like 19 miles um, of really flat not skiing i made like eight turns over the course of a really long stupid day um and I was like, man, I don't want to bring real skis on this. So I threw tech touring bindings on a pair of snowblades and had a great time. They're way lighter, way easier to carry on my pack. It was awesome. Um, and, and then from there, I was kind of like, well, what if I just did this? What if I was just touring on ski blades? Um, and so this year, Sego Ski Company and Victor made me a pair of their, it's, they call it the Big Mountain Blade. Um, and 
I got them and I was like, oh, you know, I wonder what, like, I was like, okay, I don't want to endanger myself or others, but what could I ski on these? And pretty quickly realized that I can ski anything on them that I can ski on real skis and they weigh way less and they're easier to carry and they're really fun. And like, I'll never get over like being on the skin track to like a kind of gnarly line that maybe requires a rappel. And there's like hardcore real backcountry skiers that you pass and you're on ski blades. Um, it's a great feeling of just like the double take. Um, and then this spring, I actually got to ski um, the skillet on Mount Moran on blades on International Snowblade Day, um, just kind of like it all lined up. And through that line, it's like six or seven miles across a lake, like flat across a lake that you're skinning before you even go uphill. Um, and I was skiing with a friend who's like a schema racer and he's on really light gear and like the blades were the secret ingredient where I was able to go fast enough to like ski with him and do this big day in one day and like ski this like the best experience I've ever had on snow on the blades. Um, and so now I'm working with Full Send Ski Co. out of Dakota um, to we're, we're coming to market with the first ever touring specific snow blade. I think it's June 8th is when the pre-orders open, but we've like designed a, a like a hundred centimeter long snowblade for skiing it's really fun it's great um for backcountry skiing it's light it weighs half as much as your touring setup and it's more fun that's awesome so were you were you part of the just the um graphic side of it or were you actually engineering the the ski no so his graphics are just wood veneers they're really pretty just like beautiful wood grain um i actually helped him design the ski um from like what i've skied i've skied a fair number of blades um and like I had some pretty specific design requirements and like he just actually mailed me what I think is the final prototype yesterday. I'm gonna try and get it on snow in the next week or so. Um, yeah, so we've been tweaking like the shape and the rocker profile. Um, it's got a swallowtail. Like this last one, we've been changing the tail rocker and the shape of the swallowtail. Um, they're really good. They're, they're like really, really fun to ski and it's shocking what you can get away with on them. And they're really affordable because they take less material to make. So they're going to be like uh, $420 and 69 cents um, <laughs> on the pre-order. And like, that's way cheaper than any touring specific ski. Um, and they're way lighter. So they're great. That sounds super sick. So what's, what do you think is needed for people to hop the mental barrier to think that snow blades are cool? Like what, what needs to happen for that, <laughs> for that, for them to be accepted? Uh, I've tried so many things. Um, they need to, have bigger mountain dreams um i think is the thing for me that was what did it like wanting like wanting to ski lines that required more climbing and longer days um and that like maybe aren't like they, they don't suit themselves to long skis like tight coulars are much easier to ski on snowblades um and the longer of a day you're having the more you gain by having a light setup um and it's just really fun like, I know it looks dorky, but like I do it with snowboard poles. So I collapse them and put them in my pack and then just like doing a huge sweeping turn in like a saw, like a powder, powder snow in a steep couloir on blades is like, while dragging a hand is one of the best feelings I've ever had. And I like, we'll have some demo pairs this winter. I'll like be able to set you out, send you out with a like demo snowblade setup. And I think it's, it's hard to not smile when you're doing it um it's really yeah it's really fun and they're more versatile you can ski them inbounds um way better than you can ski light touring skis inbounds like 
I was skiing park. Like the, I went, I skied Marianne and then a day later, like the biggest line of my life. And a day later I took the same setup and was like hot lapping the drain park at Targi, like hitting all the big jumps. And like, there's no ski touring setup. I would do that on, but on blades, it's awesome. Yeah. That's not, I've never tried them. That's, and that sounds super sick. I, and I've definitely never tried them in the backcountry. So who knows? <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's in store for the future. Um, so you're definitely a huge uh, gear nerd. Were you always a gear nerd growing up or was that something that kind of came with being uh, um, like doing gear reviews? No, like, yeah, that was, that's, I always had that going on. I used to like get the dealer handbooks from local bike and ski shops and like memorize the line. Like I could still tell you like Kona's mountain bike line from 2008. I probably still have memorized and like, old like old K2 skis. I knew every model in the category and their width and like whose pro model they were. And yeah, I just care about stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, so for, so I'm someone that, you know, I care about gear as much as it affects me. You know, basically like, just what do I want to buy? So what is it about gear that's like, that's always been so fascinating to you? Like what draws you to being so interested in like the specific width of a ski that you're not even going to ride? <laughs> um, because I like to see it holistically as like the skis that I'm not going to ride, their design will down the line affect the skis that I do ride or that my friends ride. Um, I love being able to like help people like I, I really, I truly believe that there's no such thing as like good and bad skis. Well, there's some really bad skis, but um, there's skis that are good and bad for specific skiers. Um, and so like helping people find a ski that really clicks with them and like seeing them on that, those first few runs on a new ski that they're like, holy crap, this is awesome. I've not had this experience on a ski. That's really gratifying. Um, and then, yeah, I just like, I like minutia. <laughs> um, I like knowing what's going on in the industry and like, I like talking to engineers who know a lot more than me and trying to understand what they're talking about. It's really just like something wired into me that I care about it. That's super sick. Cause I think um, like I grew up on the East coast and I only ever rode on the East coast until like college. And um, I, it was just the way that I always did it is just one ski. It's kind of like what, what Jason Leventhal's going for now, just like one ski that does everything. And that's so much easier to do on the East coast than it is out West because you know, it's either we get like, a hill of ice or like um like a small mountain of ice like there is at, at Killington so do you think that like regardless of your location you would have been interested in gear or do you think that because there was different situations to ride and you know like there's resort riding there's backcountry riding like do you think that that fed into your minor obsession a little bit man weirdly like for all of the gear nerding I do I hate big quivers. I hate having to choose. Um, and so like, for me, I'm really gear obsessed because I'm trying to find the one ski that's perfect for me all the time. Um, like I spend when I'm, if I'm not reviewing, which I wasn't really this year, like I spend pretty much all my inbounds time on one ski. Um, I spent all of my touring time on either one ski or in my blades. Um, so like, I think it would have happened no matter where you'd put me where like, I, yeah, it's, it's fun to like, I love the really specific skis that just do one thing really well. Um, but I don't really want to own them. Um, I don't like, that's not what I like skiing. I like versatile skis that do everything. So I think it's just like a, <laughs> a problem in my brain that makes me care more, care about that stuff. So have you, uh, have you ventured out of, uh, 
you know, the, your your little corner of the the U.S. to to ski some different resorts, or you mostly stay in uh, stay in where you live? Um, so when I worked for Blister, um, I traveled to ski quite a bit. Um, I did a couple trips to New Zealand to ski, which is pretty wild. I still can't believe I got to do that. Um, and then I'd ski like um, in the Pacific Northwest, um, did like trips to Bachelor, trips to Taos in New Mexico. Um, and then like I had the Mountain Collective Pass a couple times, um, but I ended up not really using it. And so now like I've kind of decided that I don't travel to ski for pleasure. Um, I'll travel to ski for work if somebody like wants to, you know, if a resort wants me to draw a bunch of stuff for them. Yeah. I'll, I'll come ski your resort and take a bunch of reference photos and paint a bunch of stuff for you. But, uh, um, I don't get as much pleasure out of traveling to ski. Um, partially because like, I love backcountry skiing. Um, and I live in a really, really good place for that. And there's a inherent risk of like traveling to backcountry ski of like, I spend the season learning our snowpack and I know what layers are buried and like what aspects are historically touchy. And it, it's this like bank of knowledge that I have and like traveling to a new place, you can't learn the snowpack as effectively. Um, and then like skiing in mountains, I'm really, really lucky, but like I walk a block in my ski boots and I hop on a shuttle and I sit on the shuttle for 15 or 20 minutes and I'm at Grand Targhee. Um, and then I, you know, I ski until I'm tired of skiing and then I hop on the shuttle and come home. And like, that is the inbound skiing experience I want. I get so overwhelmed at big resorts where I've got to like shuttle from the parking lot and then take a gondola. And then like, it's really cool. I love big resorts. They're really neat. I'm glad they exist. But like for me, I just want to like get on the shuttle, go up there, run into friends in the lift line, crank out however many laps it is and come back and get back to work. So don't really travel anymore. No, believe me, I, I completely feel you. I love nothing more than riding at my at my home mountain in Connecticut. And it's nothing impressive. It's like, it's just, you're spending, honestly, you're spending more time on the lift than you are on the run itself. But I just love the, like the community aspect of it. And like, oh, I grew up like learning to ride here. And I love seeing people that I know here. And I love knowing every single like side hit and all of that. So I completely, I completely feel you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's especially like side hits where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to nuke this groomer. And then this lip with a really blind landing. I know what that landing is like, where like I go to big sky and that landing's a shale field, right? Like you go to Jackson and it's car sized moguls. And it's like, man, I like, I'm not that strong of a skier. I really like the things that are familiar to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. I will say I'll ski, I'll travel to ski like mop hills. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love, uh, it, I love just that like family mountain feel. I think it's like, it's kind of goofy, you know? I just, I just think it's so fun. Yeah, no, I've had my best days at like Pebble Creek and Pocatello or Lost Trail. Um, yeah, those like little like fixed script chairs and like not very much snow and not very much terrain in the train park is sketchy. Um, I love that. It's so much fun. Like go with a group of friends and like just like party ski all over the mountain and jump off of everything and like, yeah that's the best experience like I don't I don't really understand why people travel to mega resorts like they all feel the same right like Sun Valley and Snow Basin have the same weird marble bathrooms um but like go to Maverick Mountain and you can ride the lift called the White Thunder and like everybody's in Carhartts and the terrain park just has like wood loading docks to flat I love that place yeah it is yeah it's crazy it's like these big resorts are turning into like a more like vacation destinations rather than just a place for skiers to go 
You know, like the whole family, yeah, can, the whole family can go if there's like a million amenities and everything's super nice, and you could opt into like a luxury experience if you want to. And like, if it hasn't snowed, like groomers feel the same whether you paid thirty bucks for a lift ticket or a hundred and eighty. So like, why not go somewhere that like, you know, you can like hang out and party in the parking lot and pay your thirty bucks for a lift ticket and like, yeah, I, I love the small resorts. Yeah. So you're really big, and a lot of skiers are, they're really big into mountain biking in the summer. And this is something that I have like literally zero experience with. So does mountain, what, what's the setup with mountain biking, like destinations? Are there places that people, you know, travel to, or is it, because I feel like that's much harder to pull off with dirt trails and, you know, and like the, yeah. there's not really like mountain biking towns from, from what I've seen. Like there are ski towns. There are now, there weren't mountain biking towns. Um, I'd way rather travel to mountain bike than ski. And I think I'm not alone in that because the diversity of experiences you can get mountain biking is way higher. Um, skiing, you always need snow. And like skiing in New Zealand is freaking wild. But like at its core, it's pretty similar to like, man, I would even say like, it's pretty similar to like skiing at a Pacific Northwest resort on a low snow year with rope toes instead of chairlifts. Like, don't, don't fight me Kiwis in the comments, but um it's really cool but it's not that different whereas with mountain biking like you can go to the desert which i really don't like doing but people do and like you can go to moab and not see a tree or root on a huge ride um or you can go to like pisgah in north carolina and just ride like the jankiest techiest slick gnar like you know hundreds of year old hiking trails that are really steep and hard or go to whistler and ride like the best jump lines of your life or go to bellingham and read a little bit of everything like um or you know, go to colorado and read like high alpine stuff you get a really different experience um and and you're less conditions dependent to have a really good time like yeah you can get rained out in some areas but like it's not like skiing where maybe i've just become a powder princess but like if i'm going to like a big new resort and the snow's crappy then like why am i dealing with this hassle of like you know riding your shuttle bus with my ski boots on whereas on a mountain bike it's like maybe the trails are a little dusty but they're not that like bad mountain biking is less different from good mountain biking than bad skiing is from good skiing um and so the difference is smaller and then like it's taken off so much that there are towns that are like mountain bike destinations and you can stay in town and ride to the trails um and like be self-contained and like we did a trip to canada a couple years ago where we flew there and used only public transportation and rode our bikes for a week and it's pretty sweet to like you don't need a rental car we went to three different towns and like it was super easy mountain biking is great <laughs> yeah and i actually so while you're while you're talking i was thinking and i actually do take back my statement about about the uh the mountain biking towns because i was in moab last summer and that is definitely <laughs> a mount that is definitely like a mountain biking among other things a mountain biking town Cause I was there for, yeah. I was there for hiking and I had never like been exposed to so much mountain biking culture, like basically everywhere you went. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like, I don't know, maybe people who will fight me on this, but I think like Moab mountain bike culture is really different from like Pacific Northwest mountain bike culture and like different from like, yeah, there's, there's a, so many different kinds of mountain bike culture and different kinds of trails and it's all fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I feel like I gotta get into it. It seems like it's a nice compliment to skiing, you know, because right now my, my season is skiing and then golf, but golf really doesn't like tickle you the same way that, uh, 
that mountain biking probably does. Yeah. Yeah. And like mountain biking has a big barrier to entry initially, right? Like a bike is expensive. Um, but when you look at like the overall cost of like a bike and gear and like, or, uh, like ski gear and a season pass and traveling to ski, like it gets into the ballpark of like a nice entry level bike. And with a bike, you've got the bike, you've got the helmet, maintain it and you can just, you know, you can ride it wherever you don't need a lift ticket. You don't need a season pass. Mm. And I think the thing that's, uh, apart from the price, I think the thing that's prohibitive for a lot of people, including myself to a certain degree, is that falling on a bike sucks way more than falling on skis. Like falling on skis, you can kind of just tip over, but falling on a bike, like you could really eat it and then have like your gear mess you up pretty bad too. Totally. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I coach mountain biking. Um, and last year I coached a couple or I guided, I don't know, I rode with some kids up at, um, Grand Targhee resort. And it was really interesting to see that like mountain biking is starting to follow ski culture in that, like people will go on their trip to a summer vacation destination that has a resort they will have never mountain biked. They don't bike commute. They don't ride a bike, but they go into a rental shop, rent a downhill bike, buy a lift ticket and decide they're going to ride downhill trails all day, which you can do on skis, right? You can like, I love that people who are not skiers and go to a ski resort, rent gear, go ski. Um, but on a mountain bike, man, that's just how you get a tip fit fracture. Like <laughs> um, it's wild to see people like you, you don't just have soft groomers to fall on. The bunny hill can still mess you up. Like the, the consequences are higher for beginner riders on a mountain bike for sure. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think is like an easy way to ease into it almost apart from like getting a, a bike that isn't like several thousand dollars? <laughs> um, get a rental. Um, and like bike parks can be a great way to get into mountain biking, um, but ride trails that are appropriate for you. <laughs> um, and like watch some YouTube videos or get a coach or go with a friend who knows what they're talking about and like focus on fundamentals from the start. Um, like parking lot drills are seem boring, but they're really, really valuable. Um, just for like figuring out the mechanics of like what you're supposed to do with your body. Um, yeah. And like, you know, a lot of bike shops will offer rentals. Um, any, like most places have mountain bike culture in some, some way now. Um, and like a lot of towns have like little bike parks that are really fun to ride and like pretty low consequence, like skills parks and pump tracks are a great way to get into it. Awesome. So, uh, so we're, we're getting close to the hour mark. I think, uh, we'll move into some viewer. We'll move into the rest of the viewer questions. Cause we did, <laughs> we did hop into that a little bit earlier. Okay. So Simon Winkler, Oh, four asked short, short skis versus ski blades. Short skis are the worst of every world. Um, like I get people ask me this on Instagram. They're like, well, why don't you just get the kids bent Chetler? It's like, well, the kids bench teller isn't short enough to feel, feel silly. Like I want to feel like I'm rollerblading, which I do. Um, and like, it doesn't get you the weight benefits of the short ski. It doesn't get you the maneuver of the, of the ski blade. It doesn't get you the maneuverability of it. Um, and like, if you want to be on a real ski, ski the ski that's the right size for you. I love skiing a 186. Like when the snow's deep and I want to jump off stuff, I'm on a big ski and I like to go fast and jump off stuff. Um, well, I don't understand why you would split the, split the difference with a ski that's too short for you. Hell yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Wameron asks, favorite ski movie and segment? Ooh, that's a good one. <clears throat> um, man. Whew. 
the inbound segment in one of those MSP movies with Sander Hadley and Cody Townsend, I think Nick McNutt. Um, I forget which film that is. It's like a Alta. Um, I love that segment. I love, I love watching Sanders ski and his inbound skiing is awesome. Um, it makes me want to ski inbounds more. It's more relatable. Um, I still get chills. Now I'm going to like, everybody's going to be mad at me, but I forget which it's another matchstick movie. I think it's all, hmm, I don't remember what film it is, but, uh, the Shane McConkie segment, the last Shane McConkie segment is like the, is so good. <laughs> um, it's claim. It's in claim. It's the Shane McConkie segment in claim, um, where he's like, I'm Shane McConkie, damn it. And I'm not done yet. And then that, uh, jukebox hero plays like, I still get chills every time I, that song comes on because of that segment. I love that segment. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, Gilson skis. So presumably Josh Wong writing this question. Uh, what artwork are you most proud of? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I really like the avalanche posters. Um, that was 20 big paintings. Um, I think I did like eight of them in a week or something. Like I, I cranked those out and I'm really proud of all 20 of those. Um, I like what they say. I like how they look. I think that was like a big step for me artistically and something I'm really proud of. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you ever plan on, uh, if you have something already in mind, on doing another series that's kind of um, educational rather than just like goofy or like, you know, like entertaining? Um, probably at some point. Um, I'll probably like, I'm working on like a backcountry skills poster for next year that just kind of has some like travel basics um and stuff like that but my stuff's always going to be kind of weird and entertaining like i don't like just drawing stuff just straight instructions <laughs> like that's what if, if you just want straight instructions like there's youtube videos um right they'll tell you how to make a kick turn um but i always want to like leave you a little happier than you came in hopefully yeah awesome and so uh so gilson skis also asked what was your favorite project you've worked on um, I'd say like the new schooler stuff and the mountain gazette stuff are both similar in that like twig doesn't, I don't have much editorial oversight and Rogi doesn't do that to me much either. They're just like, we trust you make something every week. And that makes me really happy. Um, so the comic that's coming out in this latest mountain gazette, um, I really, really enjoyed making. And then last year of the new schooler stuff, I did a comic called in the good old days, um, that kind of had a switch flip halfway through it. Um, and I really enjoyed making that. I was like, I was like a little bit scared to make that one. Cause it was maybe putting myself out there a little bit as far as like, Hey, this is what I believe. And I'm going to make fun of you if you don't believe it. Cause it's like, this is some basic humanity stuff. Um, uh, and so that comic was like, yeah, I really enjoyed making that. Cause, and also, cause I was like the whole time I was like, a little bit scared of like what the reaction was going to be but also like oh man i really wanted to say this this is really gratifying to say but also like i'm a little terrified um of what i'm going to hear about after it so that was really fun that's awesome uh jack martin asks how have the newscores.com forms contributed to your professional career i mean like they've given me most of it <laughs> wildly enough um yeah the, I mean, maybe not the forums as much, but new schoolers as a whole, like the forums, I think are a great entry point to new schoolers. Um, at least they used to be when I got on of just like, 
here's this conversation. And then you get to the, like the news and the video side um, is also awesome. Um, but yeah, like they, when I joined, I was hyper aware of the fact that like the industry was lurking on those forums. Um, so when I, when you post something there, potentially somebody who you really look up to is reading it. Um, and like, that's how a lot of, like a lot of my relationships, professional relationships have come through new schoolers, either in people like seeing my work there and hitting me up or like, I do a lot of work for Matt Sklar, who I met through new schoolers. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, new schoolers is a great place for networking and, um, just, it's a really good place to like learn about how to be in the ski industry. Um, even if you don't plan on being in it and obviously it has its shortcomings. Um, you know, we've kind of we've talked about this recently, like the website I was talking about this recently of like sexism, it's on the internet, racism, like bigotry, it's on the internet, new schoolers is on the internet. Um, and like a lot of room to grow there and a lot, like it needs to become a lot better, but, um, as a platform, I think like there's a lot to be gained on it, even as it continues to grow. And the big thing is like management is dedicated to making it better. Um, so like if you're a, you know, if you're not a, like a white dude, <laughs> um, New Schoolers has not always been the most inviting place. Um, New Schoolers is working on changing that. Um, and like, I think it's a good place to shoot your shot and try to be part of the conversation because I think we need everybody to try and be part of the conversation and it does a good job of democratizing that conversation, make an account, post mm -hmm. stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, is there a, I hope, I hope you might have an answer to this. Is there a new schoolers equivalent for mountain biking that you're aware of? Cause I feel like. Yeah. That... Yeah. So pink bike, um, pink bike has the forums, right. Um, and there's like mountain biking has a bunch of forums, but some of them really stuck. I'm not going to call them out, but like, man, some of the forums on mountain biking suck, but like most of the big mountain biking sites have forums, like pink bike has forums, MTBR has forums, NSMB has forums. Um, pink bike's the biggest, I think. Um, there's more money in mountain biking, which is part of why I'm trying to do more mountain bike art, more people mountain bike than ski. The market is much bigger. There's more money in it. Um, and so pink bike, like has more staff and more budget on the like journalism and media side, but they also have the same like forum culture and I haven't spent as much time on their forums, but um, yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing where it's a community of people who are passionate about this activity in the forums. Awesome. And so have you been, are you a poster on, on pink bike? Um, yeah, mostly like technical questions. Like my bike is creaking and I can't figure out where, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I had an article on there last year. I'm working on another article that hopefully I can get published on there. Um, it's a great, it's not as democratic as new schoolers and like on new schoolers, if you post and people like it, it automatically goes to the front page. Um, and every, everything is shown to everybody initially. Whereas on pink bike, there is an editorial team. That's like you submit content to them and then they decide if it's going to go on the front page. Um, so in some ways it's better in that they like filter out what content can make it to the front page, but it's also a lot. You can't just post something good and break in, you know, like my new schoolers trajectory wouldn't work on pink bike. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, get chicked. Talk about your sex in the ski tour article. So maybe, uh, cause that, that was actually yeah. one of the first things that I saw from you, um, on the site because it was more of like a rather than just a piece of art it was more like a, a longer form kind of article or 
um, <laughs> however you'd like to describe it. So yeah, so what was the story behind that? Yeah, um, well, shout out to Get Chicked. Um, she's just out here harassing me. Uh, yeah, the, so for New Schoolers, I do an art-centric piece every week, and then I do a longer form article every week, and it can be about whatever I want. Um, and this was my last one of the season. And uh, I was, I, I don't know why, but like I'd been thinking a fair amount about like, um, I don't know if this is the right term, but broadly like sexual politics, um, like the, the, the frameworks and mechanisms of like sex um, and how that relates to gender and relationships and all of that. And I'd also been thinking about like backcountry skiing because that's what I think about all the time. Um, I was like, this is my last article of the year. Screw it. Like, these two things are really similar, I think, um, in a lot of ways. So I'm going to write it, and I'll have a lot of, like, cheeky entendres throughout. Um, and it'll be kind of goofy, but, like, I genuinely believe everything I said in that article. And, like, it's kind of hilarious to me how, like, so much of skiing is heavily sexualized, um, especially when it comes to women's bodies, um, where, like, you know, we're, we're mocking female skiers when they post a, a, a swimsuit photo, but also we're like, yeah, the, it's, it's all terrible and disgusting how we treat women in the ski industry. Um, and, but at the same time, we're like kind of prudish. <laughs> like we don't actually talk about anything interesting sexually. Um, right. It's just like, people making Gus Kenworthy jokes or people being like, I jerk off to her um, or like being like, well, she's not a real skier. She's just an influencer, right? Like it's kind of garbage. And like none of that, like beyond being toxic, all of that conversation is really freaking boring. Like, okay. So like you're allowed to like talk about like a new ski giving you a boner because you're, you know, 12, but like, you're not allowed to talk about like how consent has something in common with like backcountry skiing or like, yeah, experimentate. Like it's, it's all of this just like, I just find that like sex in the ski industry is incredibly boring. Um, and like, it shouldn't have to be. And like, I think sex is really interesting. I think skiing is really interesting. I think they're super similar. I think like we'd all be a little bit better off if we like thought through our relationship with both and how it affects our lives. Um, that article was really fun to write and luckily like people liked it um some people didn't get it uh to those people like go watch sex in the city great tv show um maybe you'll grow up a little bit that's what the that's what the title's based off of and then like don't be such a prude like sex is cool skiing is cool stop just having the shittiest parts of sex relate to skiing come on let's be better than this <laughs> I love that explanation of it. Uh, so when you like drop um, an article like that, or one that like you're kind of like nervous about, um, what are so you so you publish it and are you like are you just refreshing and reading all the comments, or do you kind of like take a step back from it and you're like, regardless of what people think, I'm proud of this piece. Um, I mean, like by the time I hit publish, I always schedule the night before. By the time I hit that button, like. I'm kind of like, it's going out into the world. Who Like, I'm not going to change it. You know, like I'll copy edit if, it, if I find something atrocious, but like, um, I read it, my partner reads it. Um, and she's smart. She's a journalist. She does a good job of like 
catching inconsistencies or like helping me articulate it better. But by the time I click publish, it's out there. And I'm like, I'm stoked to read the comments. Um, mostly my long form written pieces go live on Thursdays, I believe. So like, I'm usually working at my computer Thursday and I'm like keeping an eye on what's happening. Um, with comics, they go live on Sundays and most Sundays I'm skiing. So like, <laughs> sometimes I'll like be on a tour and like pull out my phone at the summit and be like, whoa, got a lot of notifications. Better see what's happening when I get back in the car. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm always stoked to like see people's response and I'm reasonably active in the comments, but like, especially this year with the stuff I put out that I knew was going to be controversial, it's stuff that I believe so deeply that I just truly do not care if you disagree with me. Like, um, like that good old days one, like, you know, people were like, why are you bringing like identity politics into skiing? It's like, uh, because they've always been in skiing and we need to stop ignoring them. And like, if we want skiing to be better, we need to make it like more you know the buzzword is inclusive but like yeah we need to include more people in skiing and like yo if you're skiing in north america you're skiing on stolen land like that should just be like <laughs> you can premise every day you ski with that um and like skiing used to suck there's this like yeah there's this attitude in skiing that like the good old days were so much better and i just absolutely despise that um so like when i say stuff that i feel like it's gonna piss people off it's always like something that's been like bubbling inside of me for years um so i'm not worried about the comments like fuck it <laughs> yeah and on the flip side has there been any piece that you've put out that you were like almost so so about and then it it got super positive feedback that surprised you yeah i mean sometimes like it's not quite phoning it in but sometimes there's like pieces where I'm not feeling inspired that week. And I just like, I'm like, well, I need to figure out something to write about for skiing or something to like draw a comic about. Um, and it can even just be like a small, I mean, it's just like, well, what, what am I gonna do this week? Not everything can be like a banger. I feel really deeply and passionate about this. Um, so I'm gonna like crank something out that I think will amuse the community. And every once in a while, like people are way more stoked on it than I was. And it's like, cool, that's why I do this every week. That's why I do it. Like, that's why I'm on a schedule instead of just doing it when like, inspiration strikes because for me like routine is important and helpful and makes my the final product better like holding myself to a schedule makes me make my mediocre content good so i can put it out there awesome man and so i got two more questions uh just for myself um that i thought of but did not weave in cleverly along the way uh so <laughs> Uh, in, in the previous podcast you were on, you were talking about an art book. I was wondering if that ever, ever materialized. Uh, that was supposed to have materialized last month. And then I got busy and went on a bike trip um, and didn't happen yet. It's, I'm working on it. I found a publisher. I need to like get my prices from them. I need to make this huge PDF that keeps killing my computer. But yeah, uh, the art book will happen. Um, you should still buy it when it comes out, everybody. But uh, yeah. I'm stoked. It's just going to be like a big compilation of everything I've done in the last few years. And honestly, it's mostly for me to like, just be like, this is where the last few years of my life went. And I am proud of it. Um, Cause generally those things don't aren't financially lucrative for me, but like if people want it, it'll happen by July. That's what we're saying now by July, the art book will be available. Um, I'll make that happen. Awesome. And are you thinking like a, like, is this going to be a coffee table book? That's just gonna be like huge or are you going to do in more of a small format? Yeah, it's going to be 11 by 17, um, not hardcover because that's really expensive for me, but just 11 by 17 and like 100 pages-ish probably um, and full color and pretty and yeah, put it on your coffee table, 
look at it. Like my big goal, honestly, is like people always bug me for prints and I hate making prints because it's expensive and it takes a bunch of time and it doesn't really like, I don't make much money. So this book, like cut out pages and put them on your wall. Like um, it'll, it'll be all the art I've done in a big format. Put Use use this prints or put it on your coffee table. Awesome. I'll, I will definitely begin one of those because that sounds sick. Um, and so my last question is for you know, cause there's definitely some people in the ski industry that would like to do what you do. Like there's definitely people with an artistic slant that aren't doing this right now. So what advice would you give to an artist that wants to do what you're doing basically? Um, yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Um, because I feel like I was very fortunate and very privileged to like end up where I am. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just like not, not spending all your time looking at the people who have made it um, and and seeing that as the final end goal for yourself, but instead figuring out what you actually want from art and drawing or illustration and what you want from skiing and figuring out where those two things intersect. Um, like there's, there's successful artists out there um, making making art that's very specifically in their style and for their clients. And if you try and just emulate them, you're not like, who cares? Those clients already have artists. And like, there's only so much room for people who are just copying other artists. Um, so like, yeah, figure out what skiing look like, looks like to you and articulate that instead of trying to make skiing look like how someone else sees it. Um, and do push-ups. Like, it's not I hate this like art as this like blast of inspiration of like whatever like smoke a bunch of weed and like you know crank out inspired work and like that works for some people but for me like if you treat it as a job you get better at it like you would any job um show up do the push-ups and like have something worth saying you everybody has something worth saying but so often we get stuck into this like I see it with journalism. It's more obvious with journalism because there's more ski journalists, but it's just like, oh, I want to write about skiing. So I'm going to profile the same skier that everyone else has profiled. I'm going to ask the same questions that everyone else has asked. And then I'm going to like use the same cliches that everyone else has used. And like artists do the same thing of like, well, pastel mountains are popular this year. So I'm going to like do some vibrant pastel mountains and everything's going to be happening during a sunset. It's like, but like, do you think ski like, is that how you see skiing? If it is, cool. But if it's not, like, how do you see skiing? Articulate that. Awesome. Well, Sai, I want to thank you for coming on today. Is there anything you want to leave everybody off with? Um, have a great summer. Skiing is fun. Snowblading is more fun. You should try it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you. Make me an angel. the heart.